0: done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We are in Chrono Date Season 3, Episode 16 of the podcast and Season 1, Episode 14 of Enterprise. Uh, I'm not alone on this shadow of Pagem. It's a callback, a direct callback to a previous episode, the Andorian incident. I'm not going to be alone. I'm going to just pull up Dan, who should still be in the Temporal Investigations uh, waiting room. Uh, Dan, are you there? Incoming transmission.
1: I am, yes, thank you. I've been investigated and I'm here.
0: Good, good, good. Were the Russians okay? everything was fine?
1: Uh, Well, you know, not bad, not bad. Excellent,
0: okay. Uh, I mean, as long as the coffee's good, I suppose, that's always a good start, isn't it? Uh, Right, and uh, I will also call up our second guest. Now, this is Matt from the Philosophize uh, podcast, absolute favourite. I do love this show. Uh, But Matt, are you there? Incoming transmission. I am here. Fantastic. The transmission is working in both ways. Excellent. Um, Right, well, uh, the listeners have met Dan before from the academic trek podcast uh before we move on to to matt uh plug it away dan uh academic trek how are they finding it
1: wherever you get your podcasts um i do have to apologize because my podcast output has dropped. So I mean, I've probably done more. I think I might have done more of these podcasts actually than I've done on my own at the moment. But anyway, yeah. Anywhere you get your podcast and at academic Trek 47 on Twitter.
0: Excellent. And Matt uh, philosophize uh, sci-fi it's a fantastic word. And I love to say it as many times as <laughs> I can to try and get it right. Uh, but Matt um, tell the guys about, uh, tell our listeners about uh, philosophize. Um.
2: Thanks. So, uh, philosophize is a uh, on-screen sci-fi and philosophy uh, podcast that I do with my friend Dave. Um, it's spelt um, philo sci-fi z all one word. Um, and what we basically we just try to do a deep dive into talking about philosophical issues raised by various um, on-screen sci-fi. So far, it's been mostly films, although um, um, we haven't got a rule against TV shows. Um, um, I'm the sort of the Trekkie half of the podcast, Dave is a a big Doctor Who fan, and I think we've kind of both been holding off doing the Star Trek and Doctor Who episodes because we're a bit <laughs> frightened of just um, talking about them forever and not being able to edit it down, um, but I'm sure we'll get there eventually, and I think at the point where this episode will be broadcast, we'll be in the middle of our third season, um, um, and we've got a, you know, basically at that point we'll have had... Um, this is why I have to do maths. Um, 18 episodes, 18 films for you to go and have a listen to.
0: Mm, yeah, at the, as we're recording this, uh, they've just started the latest season with a personal favourite, uh, a movie that I do love. It may not be the best adaptation uh, of a book, uh, <laughs> but the Dune book uh, adaptation by uh, David Lynch, um, or is it Alan Smithy? I can never remember.
2: Um, <laughs> but depends <laughs> on which version you watch. Yeah, um, but.
0: Uh, Absolutely love the episode, and of course I love the movie you. as well. Um, what about the the podcast? Why when you release a season, you're doing it as seasons of the year? So you've done mm-hmm. spring, summer, autumn, and then winter. Where did that idea come
2: from? Uh, I think it's
0: a really interesting idea. I just never thought.
2: So actually, it. oh cool. Um, so that that's um, so I sort of do the editing. Dave does all the project management thing, um, and basically his his plan was he worked out how long it would take us to do 100 episodes. Uh, based on a very optimistic amount um sort of divvying up of work and I think he worked out at four years but then we had a bit of review after season two and we did decide actually three seasons a year is probably as much as we can manage with our other other engagements. Um so um so it's gonna be three seasons a year now. So I think it's five years to one hundred and that basically that's our target. If we get to one hundred um, then we'll decide if we want to carry on with it that's our big sort of Very cool. thing i hope i've got permission to say that um he's <laughs> yeah, a bit um he just like to compartmentalize knowledge but yeah i guess i've soft launched today that, um that bit of information
0: i'll, I'll talk to myself uh, now uh edit this bit into the extras the bloopers reel there we go <laughs> But uh, yeah, it is a fantastic um, uh, fantastic pod- podcast just to, to examine and just take one movie and just really drill into it and what were the themes, was this what the intention was and what is the thing they've delivered that we, the audience, maybe see differently to what the creators made. Um, and that was certainly something that came up in this in the Dune episode as well. Um, well thank you. There was, looking at the costumes in Dune, um, when we see the Harkonnen, um, there was an element of those costumes that I thought were in this episode that we're about to discuss in Shadows of Pajem oh, yeah. with the little shantytown guys. Um so I thought that was a that was a, a good sort of segue for me to say that we're gonna be going into the Enterprise episode. Now, <laughs> oh, Look at that. Here we go. I'm trying my best to get good at segues and I'm just terrible at it. So there we go. Um yes, so Shadows of Pajem is the reason I've called you guys here before me. Um but uh before we move on it is customary for our newest guest to talk about how they discovered Trek uh, in the first place in general. How did you find Trek, Matt?
2: So, I mean, Star Trek's kind of been in my life as long as I can remember uh, because, I mean, so I I was born in 1988, so so I was very young while Next Generation was being broadcast. And I can remember my mum didn't really like Next Generation that much, but my dad did. And they must have been broadcasting – Repeats of the original series at the same time because I can remember distinguishing between orange Star Trek, based on the <laughs> titles which my mum liked, and blue Star Trek which uh, my dad liked. Although when I saw season three of Star Trek which has blue titles, I was I was kind of thrown <laughs> by that. Um, and so it's just all, it's always been around. Um, but the point at which I actually started watching it for myself was um, during Voyager when Species Eight Four Seven Two happened. I can remember not really paying that much attention to it but my dad was watching it and my dad was like oh my god look at this there's there's the a species that could destroy the Borg and I was like whoa hmm. and absolutely um hooked into Voyager from there and then I did the first time I watched a Star Trek series start was um Enterprise I, I watched it as it was broadcast for the first time in the UK I did drop out um just because um Back in the day, when you know there was competition over what was on the telly, and it was obviously it was on Sky, so uh, it wasn't something I could watch mm. in my room. And you know, it's yeah, you know, I, I kind of dropped out of it. But then, um, in the middle of my degree, I just thought, you know, what? I'm going to watch all of Star Trek. <laughs> and Enterprise was actually one of the first ones I um, I watched all the way through because I saw uh, the the mirror. The, the Mirror Universe episode from season 4 and I was like, what the hell happened to this? Because I remember it being this kind of quite, not very exciting series um, you know that, um, you know I think before the new Trek, which is obviously more controversial it was everyone's least favourite um, although I, I I always kind of liked it this sort of like, it was kind of, kind of not dour, but very serious toned, and then I just saw that this sort of mad episode about them about them stealing the the Defiant from the Tholian Web episode of the original <laughs> series, what, what the hell happened? I'm going to have to find out how they got to that. Um, and I wasn't disappointed. I, I think it's a great season. Real shame that. It was cancelled early and um, I think really underrated, mm. really underrated. And th- thank you for encouraging me to uh, watch it again. Yeah, 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 Excellent.
0: Well, that's that's all the aim of the Temporal Trek podcast is uh, not just watching in complete chronological order from the Big Bang. It's to get just anyone watching any series at all. It's just an excuse <laughs> to sit down and watch Trek, really. Um, <laughs> uh, in general, uh, before we get into uh, the episode, what were your sort of... Um, sort of recollections of this because it was a big deal that they weren't doing a two-parter but they were paying direct homage to an episode that had happened you know three or four weeks before that was still probably new for Star Trek they they hadn't really dealt with arcs in this way even Deep Space Nine when they did an arc it was six or seven episodes back to back so you had you'd had watched it Constantly being referenced to, this was the first time they'd done something, forgotten about it for a couple of episodes, and come directly back. Any thoughts, starting with Dan um, on Shadows of
1: Bajem and
0: and what that sort of felt like when you first watched it?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting to because I, I thought of that today when I was rewatching, and um, it does strike me as quite unusual. I mean, DS Nine was the one that I thought of, obviously for an arc type series. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that they they started quite early because obviously, famously, Enterprise season three is you know the arc, the, the season-long arc. Um, but this, I thought, yeah, I like this actually, and I, it'd be nice if they did that a bit more. I don't, I'm, without watching them again, I can't recall them really doing this that much, where they they've sort of dropped things in. But there, there does seem to be a certainly a development of character that you don't maybe see in TNG and stuff. And this is like a, a more pronounced version of that, really, for me. Matt,
2: uh, it's a it's a it's a great question. I'm just sort of like trying to remember how the other seasons went, and I think you're right. This is the this is this was a new um, invention, and I think what was good about it was that it was a kind of return to something a bit more episodic, um, but at the same time, it's it's it sort of. It establishes Shran, mm. so before you know, it just it feels like oh, this is a one-off Andorians causing mischief. That's oh wow, the makeup's really good. They've done really well on the prosthetics there, mm. and just you know carrying on, and then suddenly he, he's back, and he's got this um, idea of a debt with Arch, and sort of okay, this this is interesting. This this isn't just episodic. They are kind of easing us in to longer planning and um, arcs, and um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a. I think it's a good idea because it it allowed and I know you've spoken about this in some of the the recent episodes, but it sort of allows these characters to get to know each other mm-hmm. and sort of let them also get established in the the Alpha quadrant and well mm-hmm. or, or Beta quadrant. I know that that's kind of been <laughs> redefined um, in canon. Um, it's mean, sort of in the areas that are familiar to us as watchers of later programs, but not to these characters, and getting to know themselves and um, the challenges that bring them together and finding out what Malcolm's uh, favourite um, <laughs> favorite food is and that sort of thing. And then it's like, also there's this, um, I guess, not geopolitical, sort of stellar political thing that's starting to go on about all of these different, uh, different powers, um, learning how to share space with mm. one another. And I, I think introducing that softly rather than going in for full-on... Um, well, what would be very modern now, um, full-on long series arcs with no B episodes or anything. I think that would have been a mistake. I'm quite glad they did it this way. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, I yeah completely agree. It's it, With the Temple Cold War, we'd already seen that they were going to go for an arc story for the season, that they'd introduced the Sulaban, and that was something very similar to what Deep Space Nine had already done. But Pajem was something, it felt different. It felt like we're dealing with the old canon—the stuff that you saw back in TOS when they were talking in the Babel episode—you know, it's the the Andorians, the Balkans, and the humans, and how they work together. I think even the Corridans were even mentioned in that episode, if I'm off the top of my head. Um, but you know, it felt like they were delving into the stuff that we already knew, but people coming fresh to it wouldn't have already known. Um, whereas the the Temple Cold War was this arc just for the Enterprise people that we, the fans, and the new people, had no idea what was going to happen that was a, a, a the enterprise arc and then there was this canon arc or this idea that they were going to pay homage using all these arcs and explain where everything came from whether they've done that successfully i suppose we're going to <laughs> talk about in a moment um but yeah it there was a, a feeling that this was something different that they exploring an episode that they thought was just a one-off but coming back to it directly um was was something new Uh, And I think it was one of the times where I thought Enterprise was just about going to get it right. Again, whether they were successful, let's get on with it. Um, um, It's zero minutes, zero seconds. There is no temporal shenanigans going on. So it's just a full episode watch. So if you're watching Shadows of Pajem, we open up and Saval is giving uh, Admiral Forrest a bit of a talking to about the fallout from Pajem talking about observing an aggressive neighbour versus using uh, invasive intelligence and you know the Vulcans are just as much to blame as the Andorians and the humans just happen to be there uh, which is a theme that we have seen in previous episodes that we've done. Uh, Dan you were there for uh, civilization, where they just happened to turn up just as these aliens were just exploiting this one little civilization. Very lucky the Enterprise showed up to that one planet in the middle of nowhere Um, but You know, the humans just happened to be there uh, and they managed to uh, break uh, the cover. Uh, This whole scene, uh, all of it that it deals with, is something I wanted to see the direct episode after Andorian Incident. It's something I mentioned back in Breaking Ice when I was with uh, Jen from the Snap podcast. I would have loved to have seen this and then perhaps other scenes like this peppered through as we're seeing the the, the scale down of perhaps the Vulcans being involved in the human relationship. Um, It feels weird that it was disjointed by a couple of episodes, but your thoughts, I'll start with Matt this time and we'll go to Dan, um, on this
1: scene.
2: Um, I think it kind of works that it's delayed because um, one of the themes is just how out of touch they are. With Earth, so there's, there's greater distances involved, and you know, it, you know, maybe diplomatic um, events do take some weeks to pan out. Um, but I, I really like it. I really like, of all, um, I like the whole. Um, well, no, none of the founder species of the Federation are yet themselves. There's possibly one way of looking. They kind of need the Federation to get them out of their um, sort of darker. Um, lesser tendencies and you've got the the vulcans as this very proud um uh, species that don't admit mistakes uh, i've got this very odd paternalistic um relationship with earth and the thing that i quite like i mean if you don't mind me skipping ahead a little mm, bit as well yeah, is okay. the difference between what forrester says to uh, saval and what he says to archer when he uh he briefs some so to Savoli, saying he's doing the archer line. you know we were just there. you shouldn't have been doing this um you know uh, our our people need got killed as well as sort of the implication as well. It's not like we caused this, you've been doing surreptitious things that don't really seem very in line with your press about what you're all about, but then to archer later on, it's sort of like you need to be a lot more careful. you can't be starting fights with interstellar species. we haven't got an art, uh, we haven't got a fleet yet we, you can't be doing this. be more careful. Um, Which I think shows um, really good leadership on Mm. Forrester. I think he's probably the only admiral um, that has no real complications. And you know, usually the admiral character is introduced in Star Trek to be an obstacle, or Mm. or the commodore character is used as an obstacle, or someone who's getting things wrong, a bureaucrat who's getting in the way, or is um, outright corrupt. In the case of um, Admiral Leighton and Vice Admiral Leighton in um, Paradise Lost, Mm. Deep Space Nine, who's doing a whole coup. And even the even the uh, the second nicest admiral in um, classic Trek, obviously, is an, another nice admiral in Discovery. But in in classic Trek, being I can't remember his name, is it um, the one who works with Cisco? Seems nice, but then mm-hmm. he's got his, he's working with Section Thirty One. So it's you know the admiral class are usually portrayed quite badly, whereas you know th- this admiral just seems to be really nice, really sound, doing his job properly, and it's nice to see. Um, I guess apart from Kirk, but then he wasn't a very good admiral, was he? That's the entire point.
0: He was so bad at being bad that they kicked him out. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Dan.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this uh, see, um, scene as well. Actually, I think you're right. There's there's lots going on. You know, there's there's the agro volcans. They're all a bit, you know. And what I, I noticed from my sort of um, interest in art, um, how much glass there was <laughs> in in the 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 room, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the cameras behind these sort of glass bottles and stuff. And it was all, yeah, I, I don't know why. Uh, Admiral Gardner clearly has got a bit of a thing about glass. I mean, so that was <laughs> well, probably, that probably wasn't what they wanted me to take from the scene. <laughs> but that was certainly uh, one of the things that uh, I um, picked up. And yeah, and it's lucky the Vulcans aren't emotional, isn't it? Because, you know, what would have happened if they were? That's very true. You know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if it had been yeah. the Andorian sending in a, a representative and just, you know, just breaking the glass and there's Saval defending himself in a, you know, Vulcan Tai Chi, whatever um, stance. Yes, that's very true, actually. Yeah. Um, I, 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 the general argument that they're giving is, you know, it's observing an aggressive neighbor security versus invasion of privacy. That's a big subject in and of itself and could probably have been the focus of just this episode. Do you feel it should have been the focus of this episode over what we eventually will be discussing?
1: I think it would have been very, very interesting. Yeah, and but I've got some thoughts on the rest of the episode, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll leave that for a bit. But um, I, I think they could have done quite a few different things. Is the answer to that? And and this that would have been one really interesting um, thread to sort of pull at, Matt.
2: Um, I'd say, I mean, that that would have been an interesting thread to pull out, but on the other hand, I think what the story we do get allows to happen, it breaks a deadlock, because the Earth and the Vulcan governments are in a complete deadlock at the beginning of this episode, and it's not clear um, how they're going to be able to um, get out of it. Um, in, in Archer's words, um, topol is going to be used as a scapegoat, but that's unlikely to to really restore the diplomatic relations. However, what does happen... On the planet, in a, in an instant, that actually, for a brief moment, has the Andorians, the humans, and the Vulcans all working together um, to get out of the situation by accident, um, and does allow a kind of of a way out. So, I mean, m- maybe what's good about what we do get in this episode, even though it, it, it is odd in some in some ways, which I think we'll probably get onto, is that it allows all of the parties in this to reassess their priorities a little bit. Something real happens, a real incident Mm. um, and they're able to come back to the table, presumably because um, Earth and Vulcan are back onto status quo terms in the future, I believe. Mm. So yeah, that, that, that would be my take on that.
0: Yeah? Absolutely. Uh, Before we move on to the credits, uh, and it will be your chance in a moment, Matt, to mention whether you like the credits or not. um, There is a mention of uh, Captain Gardner, who would have been a far better choice uh, because Archer is too impulsive. Now, the nature of Temple Trek means that we've already seen First Flight from season two first. And there was no mention of a Captain Gardner. Uh, Now there was an eight-year period from when First Flight happens to when Archer eventually captains the NX-01 in Broken Bow. So in that eight years perhaps Captain Gardner wormed his way through after AG Robinson proved himself unreliable and Archer also went behind the Balkans pack. Uh, But again it's another captain, it's another part as I said way back when we covered First Flight of that that build up to the NX program that I would love to see, whether it be a short trek, whether it be a book that just covers the early days, and it's like um, the Mercury program for and the Apollo programs. Perhaps we get a you know the right stuff, but it's the NX01 program. Um, I would love to have that compendium uh, from Ag Robinson all the way to Captain Gardner and then to Archer. Um, uh, I just wish that they could have done that. Right, uh, the credits as the new guest matt <laughs> uh, i have on record what dan's theories are on the credit sequence did you like it uh you know it's entirely up to you you don't have to say you do you don't have to say you don't uh, but thoughts on the credit sequence
2: okay i might um hyperbolize my opinion on this uh, to offer some balance um i kind of like it so at the time i mean i you know, I must have been, about uh, I think about 12 or 13 at the time, I was just learning guitar, and I kind of liked it, and I tried to, I learned that song <laughs> on guitar, and everyone hated that I had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one likes the song. But at the time, now, now I'm kind of, oh, it's a bit cloying, and when they, in season three, when they revamp it, I mean, like in Deep Space Nine, when they revamp the music, it makes it so much better, whereas it makes it so much worse, in Enterprise, it's just sort of digging a hole, really. <laughs> um, but what I like about it is, is the song, you can see what they're getting at. Now, if we take away the... um the music say when they do in the that mirror universe one where they haven't got they just got like creepy mm. music in the background. But you know the what they're doing with the montage of sort of showing the NX program as this fulfilment of progress throughout um, sort of human history. Sort of trying, which is the story of Star Trek. You know, we will progress, we will get better, and and the lyrics of it sort of do um, harmonise with a lot of the particularly with the idea of the Vulcans sort of helping but not helping and slowing. I mean. Th- Archer seems to believe that they've been slowing humanity down. whether they have or not, we don't really know. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I think. I don't know. I think it works, but it it doesn't work as a uh, as the opening to every single episode. I don't think it's sort of it makes a point very well. But then, um, you know, I can you know, it's it's not the greatest song, and you kind <laughs> of have to listen to it all the way through. Apart from like Netflix skip thing but i would say it is far superior although i do i do like the new track programs It's far superior to any of the track in, new track intros um where i th- i think the music's quite dull in and uh Picard as well. I mean, I like the bit at the end with the little flute. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, I just—I I think they've just kind of stopped bothering trying to figure out a good <laughs> Trek intro. Uh, actually, Lower Decks, Lower Decks is okay. Yeah,
0: I was about to say like Lower Decks. I, yeah. I think is a...
2: the trouble is actually Lower Decks is the same problem except it's with the jokes. So Lower deck has jokes in it, one, but it's sort of like jokes only work once, <laughs> maybe twice. <laughs> Equally, this point they're making with the montage, and you know, you know, it's been a long road getting from there to here. That whole that whole arc, <laughs> you know. So you get yeah, you get the point of that the second viewing and sort of. You know, maybe they could have just like took that off, but you know, obviously somebody really liked that song, either that or Russell Watson had some skeletons in the closet about the production team, <laughs> and, um, was able to extort it to be on there. Forever.
0: And for legal legal reasons, there. we say no, he did not. That's absolutely.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's my hyperbolized defence of it. I I, th- I think it is good, with caveats.
0: Good with caveats works for me uh, <laughs> um like i say i think i might compile every guest's opinion about it and just have it as a separate episode for for the uh, uh nexus Night spin-off show so uh that's awesome uh, um, <laughs> right uh carrying on with the episode um, we get the mess hall scene with Archer and Trip and we learn about Corridon that's where they're going uh, 3 billion inhabitants that it's a Vulcan mining agreement uh, in the area that they have some amazing technology but archer's just not going to be able to take trip with him uh he had a chat with the the chancellor and she said you know you need just to limit the the away team so of course hoshi is the best option because you know as the translator that makes both, both perfect sense uh he manages to pull it off just to the point where trip works out what uh what's going on and he's pulling his leg just a beautiful character moment for me but how do you guys feel we'll start with dan
1: yeah, um, I enjoyed it, actually, and I thought of you when I was watching it. I thought that you'd quite enjoy the, the for one of a better word, the sort of trolling of Trip. You know, the the sort of watching his poor little hang, hang dog face sort of drop. And um, the other thing I'm going to sort of bang on about a bit of a a bit of a I don't know what's the right word, but a thing I've been going on about is that you know if the corridors have got Warp Seven, why don't why don't Starfield just buy a design off them? You know what, what, what? It's just weird, but that's you know that's me just going on about my thing. But yeah, I quite enjoyed it because I, 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 yeah, poor old Trip, he was uh, he was very upset, wasn't he? Yeah,
0: and yeah, you know, he was even asking him for his camera to be given over to Hoshi as well. You know, I'm not even going to take you, but I'm going to take your stuff, so uh, we'll get some good snaps. Don't worry, uh, Matt. Any thoughts on the season, on this scene?
2: Yeah, I love the I love the bounce, uh, between Archer <laughs> and. Um... Archer and Trip. It reminds me a lot of I mean, you you mentioned um about how Enterprise is kind of doing a lot of homage to Old Canon and the original series in particular. I feel like it the Trip Archer thing really grasped it, it's reminiscent of the Kirk McCoy stuff where um you know, apart from the job that Trip has on this ship, he's also a very close friend of the captain and and able to give advice that um probably regulations why should be given by the first officer but you know they're they're really close friends and i li- i like that kind of teasing it really adds to the uh, to the just to, to the flavor and the atmosphere they're them sort of they, these are friends mm. you know and it's nice to see things like that I see some humour in in, in Star Trek. That's a good thing.
0: It is actually ideally placed. Um, Now, Dan, I completely forgot to mention this in our last episode when we did Sleeping Dogs. Um, There was a lot of teasing from Trip towards Archer about Klingon culture and, you know, they're going to kill you if they sense any weakness. And he was like, be strong. And and that's all he did before he had to go into the the room with the Klingon female officer. Um, But it felt like this scene was a perfect bit of revenge uh, from... uh, Archer towards trip, because of all the teasing we would just seen in the last episode, so it 's quite believable that this conversation was going on within weeks of sleeping dogs as well. Um, so uh, just because this episode is playing at this point, you could see a throughput for the characters between uh, between there and then. Archer and Forrest. So Forrest has now got back in contact, as we've already mentioned, uh, and said that he's found out that the Andorians have actually attacked Pajem. They have uh, bombarded it and that um, Archer needs to be more careful. As Matt has mentioned, uh, this is a sort of good diplomatic Ability for Forrest that he can defend him to one set, but also uh, reprimand him, uh, reprimand Archer in private. Uh, it's the sign of a good leader, for you know my personal opinions. Uh, uh, any thoughts on that communication? Uh, any other uh, sort of comments on uh, uh, Forrest's leadership style, Dan? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I think um, I think you're right. I think he did the right thing there. You know, he defended his man in front of the the Vulcans, and then sort of, without being, because I think, you know, he's, I think what he realises is that, that Archer's in a difficult situation, he's the first captain, they're the first Warp 5 ship, they've gone out further than anyone else, they're they're learning as they go, really, mm. so I think he he balanced it very really well, and he just got the tone just right, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's, I mean, sort of, Archer takes it, he takes it on the chin and he accepts it, and I think that's part of a very long arc for Archie which I think only really comes to fruition at the beginning of season 4 um, when he's sort of recovering for what he's been through in, in season, season 3 of um, the clash of the optimism of this yes we can just sail on a boat and not have any problems and not need to have all of the weapons that we were supposed to have uh, fitted and everything will be fine we're just explorers and then sort of the reality of um, of, of the political situation that's out there that even though these things have been sorted out on Earth doesn't mean that uh, there is peace in the galaxy and um it's sort of like th- this long arc-, arc of Archer realizing that um maybe he was a little bit naive. However at the same time it, it you know, it's it's a benef- benefit to him that he's trying <clears> to <throat> do to do these things and saying, Yeah, this is brilliant, let's go down and see a Vulcan Monastery. Oh dear, of course an international incident. <laughs> um oops. Um you know, it, it it's obviously not not a sustainable um, model for a captain, but uh, probably what they needed on the on this voyage. Mm.
0: I think the the makers of the episode probably would agree with you guys because the sweeping shot that comes next from outside the ship at, whilst it's moving at warp and sweeps in from the outer hull into the ready room. Um, it's almost like we look at all the wider picture, and now this is the direct consequence for Archer from an artistic point of view that's how i would have interpreted it as well um but that's very good. i didn't know if that was something that maybe you guys thought or whether there was a different reason for this because this is an unusual shot from what i remember of star trek for having the outside of the ship inside other than the cage and i think maybe one yeah. voyager episode i can think of where it zooms in on jane way standing in her ready room i can't think of too many shots like this and i wonder if it was deliberate
2: i think it happens in best at the end of Best of Both Worlds Ooh, with Picard. Yes. There's a bit where he's sort of like he's got he just sort of stares out or something like that. Um, you know, it's, it is it's something that I mean, maybe due to the the you know the, it's a, probably a technical technically quite expensive shot to do compared to normal ones. But yeah, it, it, mm. it does always seem to be that kind of establishing of um, as you said the bigger picture, the you know sort of the, the ship that getting smaller and then actually going into the the world that they inhabit with inside the ship. No, it's, it's a really good point. Uh,
0: Topole has come into the ready room uh, and we find out that she's being reassigned, that it is, or well, it seems to be, that the Balkans are being petty in some way and trying to take it out on T'Pol th- instead of going after Archer. topol 's reaction, for me, makes sense because she said, you know, it's eight days I was supposed to be here, it turned out to be six months. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound like an emotional response because if they are, uh taking away the joint operations naturally they won't have joint crews. They won't have a Vulcan representative on Earth's ship no matter what, whether it's the NXO one, whether it's the NXO two. Uh it I know Archer is sort of Maybe taking it upon himself and saying that this is an emotional reaction, but actually, to Paul makes a good point, it does seem like the logical next step to remove any representatives. You know, diplomatically, you would probably remove your ambassadors from a place if you are withdrawing your relationship. Uh, so that this would just be a next step. Uh, yes, we can read between the lines, but it seemed like a natural reaction. Dan?
1: Yeah, do you know, I was really impressed with this scene, actually. I think um, it was played really well. Um, particularly by Topol, I think, you know, on the surface, totally cool. You know, it was only meant to be eight days. It was, you know, all that stuff. But actually, you could literally see how upset and sort of, you know, annoyed she was by this. (laughs) So I thought that it was played really, really well. Um, And I think it's really nice as well with, you know, Archer was clearly upset about this as well. And it's... Something that we've sort of banged on about a bit about the way that all the humans hate all the Vulcans, and <laughs> but actually you really see in this moment a, a very genuine, you know, affection and respect for T'Pol from from Archer there, and 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 clearly that uh, T'Pol is upset about being taken away from the the Enterprise as well. So yeah, I thought it was very good.
2: Oh yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, it's uh, it's the peculiar it's the peculiarity about about Vulcans of they repress emotions but they have got emotions and mm-hmm. i think um i mean obviously what happens with them to Paul's emotions later in the series is, is is more complex but um it's really good when you see the actors who play these vulcans um having that balance between an out to outward um logic and everything's fine and then sort of clearly there's something that Certainly Kirk would want to call an emotion that's going on because they all obviously they all deny it's not an emotion, and all those arguments you know i'm not um you know i'm I'm not um irritated, I'm perplexed or whatever it is. you know they always find another word to describe what it is that is less emotional, um but yeah, no really well acted mm. I think a really good scene right, well,
0: carrying on from there. Uh, from that moment, we then get another change to Archer's travel plans. So no longer is he just taking Hoshi and just taking Trip's camera with him. He's actually going to be taking only to Paul that they're going to spend some time together. Um, it, I can see the the argument of wanting to spend more time with her. That perhaps he can maybe change her mind to be a bit more proactive in fighting against the assignment. Do you feel that maybe he should have still brought some other crew members to maybe offer? Other opinions, maybe bring Ho Sheep, having just gone through a mission in Sleeping Dogs, that there was, you know, uh, uh, someone she's worked with closely, someone who understands the Vulcan language, who can maybe empathise with her on a cultural level, perhaps have other crew members that she's interacted with, even if it was crewman Cutler, someone who has been fangirling over the Vulcan culture and maybe play on her uh, ability to maybe play through to to Paul. Do you feel that just the two of them was enough? I know why they've done it for the episode but should he have brought
1: more people um i i know i quite i think it's sensible not sensible um it makes sense because again you know i think archer is even though it's not been that long a period they've been sort of working together he's genuinely upset about this and genuinely angry about this And I think he's—he does. He—he thinks it's, you know, she's going to be gone in a few days, and he wants to spend some time. And and yeah. So I mean, yeah, maybe they could have brought someone else. But again, as you say, for the plot, it doesn't necessarily make sense. But I can understand why it was done that way. I mean, I'd
2: say it's one of the few um, away team assignments in Star Trek (laughs) that actually makes sense because you can see why he's done it. Um, Long since given you and me both. both. You and me both. It's always the A team who's selected, you know. Yeah, yeah, just on like a you know, a leadership level, he wants to. This is someone he wants, yeah, even on a friendship level, he just wants to spend a little bit more time. Um, I mean, he possibly hopes that she's go- he's going to persuade her to fight it, but I think there's a much more human thing of he just wants to, True. um, the only reason that before, that thought
0: cre- crept into my uh, mind, maybe there should be other points of view, uh, was the flock scene. Before they get into the shuttle, Flock sits down and says, you know, you're still an important part of this crew if they knew more about what you've actually done for them. And this is true. This is something we've seen sort of very subtly sprinkled through all the other episodes to poll has offered a glimpse or done something that seems unvulcan Vulcan like um, she's uh, put a list together of things to go and see perhaps in the wrong order, but she's at least offered something to the humans to go and explore uh, against her better, better judgment, she's done plenty of things to prove that there's something different about Topol as opposed to these other Vulcans who have been stationed on previous Earth ships. Um, uh, he did walk away with some of the food off her plate, which is another callback to Dear Doctor and why he probably doesn't have people sitting down to have dinner with him too often. Um, so that's a callback to another episode as well. But the flocks scene—any um, uh, thoughts?
2: Starting with Matt this time. <laughs> well it was um it was listening to um episodes of this podcast that made me realise Fox is kind of the Guinan of, of Enterprise. He's always sort of popping in. Um I mean I did I found the scene a little bit odd in some ways, but you know, it sort of fitting this arc of like Flox is actually really read up on everything and everyone. I mean the first watch I thought, Well how does Flox know about this other Vulcan other Vulcans who've not managed to stay on ships? Well I thought actually he's probably looked it up. He seems to have always read something Around he's 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 and he also seems quite well connected as well. Um, but it's kind of nice to have, um, ha, have sort of the, the the sort of the mini arc of her um going through this punctuated by someone else saying, So actually, you're really welcome on the ship, particularly from a, an, another non human perspective as well. You know, it's not just the humans being humans, actually, you, you've done some something really historic and important here. Uh, there's a reason why you should be able to stay if you want to mm. do it. So sort I've of encouraged to look out it's, for herself. It's good that he's no, giving think, her a heads quite, up
0: about going away it's parties quite nice. and social interactions. And he's at least trying to help her uh, in that regard from perhaps avoiding something. Yeah. Uh, once they're in the shuttle, they are uh, then Absolutely. going down to the surface. They are talking about yeah. the transfer, of course, and, you know, Archer is trying his best to hide that it's a veiled attempt to try and get her to rethink her decision. um But they are attacked by a fixed wing aircraft. Now, this is actually a little trope that I've noticed doing the Temporal Trek broadcast This is the second time we've had an Enterprise shuttle pod attacked by a fixed wing aircraft. It used to be the in the alternate timeline when the Nazis took over America. Uh, we had the. Um, Attack fighters, the B 51s, I believe, uh, that uh, attacked the shuttle pod. So it's the second time an Enterprise shuttle pod has been attacked. But the Enterprise has also been attacked by jet fighters in the 1960s. So uh, it's a little time travel uh, trope that has sort of now come into the mainstream of uh, the prime timeline where you're getting attacked by fixed wing aircraft. It's a really weird trope don't know why i'm mentioning it but it's something that comes up with uh, the temple trick podcast um but we find out the, the shuttle pod is armed with little plasma weapons like we get a little bit of pew-pews going on we've got some uh, we've got some x-wing uh, star wars fighters Should, dare i cross the streams with other things but it does lead to the third in the enterprise trope of archer abductions
1: my name is jonathan archer
0: Answer the question! Yes, Archer has been abducted again. This is his third abduction for season one. We are 14 episodes into Enterprise from the pilot. That's 14 and three of them he's already been abducted. That's a 20% average so far of Archer being abducted. Uh, (laughs) Any thoughts on the abduction? So we're going into the Houdini scene as well of them being tied together. Any thoughts on, you know, being abducted again? This is where the episode has gone again, Um, starting with Matt.
2: Well, um, I mean, all all of the, um, all of the Star Trek um, um, seasons seem to have one character who always gets abducted, like O'Brien or whatever it is. It's interesting that they decided it would be the captain who's always abducted. Um, I don't know. It, makes, um, it, does, it does make sense. It is a bit repetitive. But, um, but in, a, in a sense, maybe that's what's going on with archers, making the same mistakes. You know, he's, you know, he really is, he's an an engineer and an explorer doing this sort of leadership role, and he's got a lot of leadership qualities, but he's not the most tactical of the captains that that we see, and yet again, he's ended up in a situation through being underprepared, and, um, you know, and and he's just yet again being captured, (laughs) Um, so yeah, Yeah. yeah, just wow.
1: Something that's just occurred to me from what you've just said, Matt, is um, maybe what we're seeing a little bit is is a less safe universe than we come to see in TNG and and when the federations established. We've got, you know, on, on Corridon, there's obviously there's a civil war, although you know, obviously the government won't oh, admit yeah. that. I think um, we've already seen. Is it have we seen Desert Crossing yet? Is it the one where the with the not yet, right. So that you know, there's that one where there's a sort of civil war going on or a, a sort of insurrection. So maybe that's something that we're seeing is, is this slightly less safe universe. And, and part of that is, you know, more struggles. It's interesting that Earth seems to have gone from, you know, disaster to perfection when whereas a lot of planets you know, even the inter inter the problems between Vulcan and um, and Doria, you know. It's not a settled mm. um, galaxy or settled um, quadrant that we're, we're living in yet. So maybe that's that's where it's coming from a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, typical old Archer. He likes yeah, to get to a beating, doesn't he? He seems to have been bashed in one way or another. Cut into the little jingle for, jingle for the uh, Archer abductions. There
0: are so many punches. It could be at least a three-minute jingle. Um, it, I just had to be very selective <laughs> about which punches to the kidneys he took. Um yeah, uh, we start talking about Houdini and getting out of uh, ties. We find out that Vulcans are not uh, double jointed. So there's a, a temporal trek mile- milestone. We find out a bit of Vulcan anatomy. Um, we get. We get an interrogation scene as well. We have the leader of whatever this band of freedom fighters (laughs) are at the time. uh, And we say that we've been invited at the behest of your chancellor. Well, she's not my chancellor. Now, that's 20 years before we had uh, a little phrase going around with a certain American president. Not my president. Um, that was a big thing hashtag not my president and we've seen that now being sort of brought into other countries that have democratic elections that the other side that lose not my leader so as, um it, it's interesting that there is this political dynamics going on we don't really get any more depth than that this is the only time we see this leader in the interrogation this this uh, gentleman we hear him one one other time in the ransom demand but we don't really get delve into this culture we don't really get anything out of it do you feel that maybe they should have done a bit more to push this story
2: Dan
1: yeah again I think you know I think maybe if this had being made today we'd see that you know it would probably be a whole episode about sort of political intrigue but it just wasn't I don't think really certainly not the way Trek was made at that point and I think maybe that's, you know, that's why we don't see it, really. It just maybe wouldn't even have occurred to him to have put that, you know, to spend an hour talking about the, the political situation on, on the planet, you know. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, that's what, yeah, I think that's probably what it is. It's more to do with the way stories were told then, certainly Trek stories.
2: I think it's, I mean, I don't know whether this was a conscious decision or not, but I do think it's applicable to what's really going on here because what we've got is um, the Andorians and the Vulcans involved in a proxy war with um, vying for this place to be like a buffer mm. state, which I think is really going back to the original series. I mean, I think every interaction with the Klingons, almost every interaction with the Klingons in the original series was that setup. Both the Federation and the Klingons are trying to get Dilithium from a more primitive, um, less developed, um, uh, less economically powerful uh, civilization and coming into conflict there i, I think uh, uh, you know it's and we, basically this is part of an arc of us learning well the first things you really know about the andorians who had been underdeveloped in previous uh, series mm-hmm. and learning about what the vulcans were before the federation you know they you know they're definitely not the vulcans yet at least not the vulcans as as they're portrayed in uh, in later star trek they are you know they are really involved in getting dirty with international relations and um although we only really have shran's account of um of you know the vulcans are propping these up but so far shran has been 100 mm-hmm. percent right about um the vulcan subterfuge so you know i think we're meant to trust that um but equally the andorians are, su- uh, are supporting the rebels and i think and, and within that the real um you know just just as um say western mm. interests in somewhere like Afghanistan is obviously going through a horrible time at the moment and where these these um sort of proxy conflicts happen in cold wars in in the real world which is this seems to be a commentary on we only really focus <laughs> on in the west on the western interest in it and here we're only getting the human and Dorian and vulcan interest and the whatever the hell is going on on that planet isn't what the episode's interested in because it's not what the humans are interested in. They're just interested in getting their captain and the first officer back. The Vulcans are just interested in maintaining, maintaining status quo. And the Adorans are. Re- I mean, Tran's there to help Archer, but he wouldn't have been there if it was, if if the political situation wasn't also such that he'd get away with going in and um, you know interacting with the rebels on that. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's applicable. Uh, whether that was deliberate, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna be optimistic and say. Yeah, you know, they were going for something like that, but there's a lot. Also, this feels like a very pastiche episode, like almost like the, um, I, I mean, I presume a lot of these times they're right, Like maybe something like Morecambe and Wise used to do this, where they'd put like sketches on a post-it and put it into a hat and then they sort of pick it out and then that would make the episode. <laughs> it might be that they picked out three, three different story ideas and tried to do them all in one because they've got to do the one episode and it, and it kind of works. And maybe they just didn't really have that much material like on that. the, I, uh, yeah. That what that was would make going the most on sense to me because in, in this, it seemed
0: um, like they had warm. a bigger story that they could have told, mm. but didn't. And yes, I imagine if they are just pulling uh, stories out of a hat or just trying to, you know, bring it into a forty-five minute format, yeah, you're not going to spend um, uh, talking about this one planet that we're, made, we're never going to see again. Um, I do like that the next scene we then get the chancellor talking to the crew and giving a very politician's. Way of talking to somebody of like you know they are almost certainly not going to be harmed and then Reed is the first to sort of say almost certainly um, he he's clearly dealt with uh, uh, enough uh, of uh, British politics to uh, to understand or read between those lines um, we, you know talking about isolated incidents we get um, everything in our power we will do to try and get them back it's empty promises or it's it's just you know bylines it's uh it's words you just say just to placate them and just to shut them up and then she cuts them off anyway so she doesn't even really want to talk to them Uh, i would love to see you know bbc breakfast or an itv breakfast where the the politician just cuts the feed doesn't even bother saying goodbye that's it they've had enough um so eventually the crew decide they're going to try and find uh, the captain and to pole themselves. Uh, they're going to start scanning for a human and Vulcan life signs on a planet with three billion people, uh, or they're going to try and find their own shuttle pod, which, you know, three billion people. Yeah, fair enough. But just two episodes ago, uh, three episodes ago in Silent Enemy, we were able to scan DNA within seconds of a shield dropping and now we're struggling to find two uh, DNA signatures as it were on a planet which should be completely distinguishable from everything else um, uh, just any thoughts on a uh, trip le- leaping into action and the Chancellor being the typical politician
2: Well, what I love about the Chancellor being the typical politician is it just shows how little power Earth have at this point. Um, the, the thing it reminded me of a bit is I watched recently the, an episode of um, Star Trek where um, mm. Picard's trying to get in touch with Gowron and he ends up speaking to like the junior <laughs> under-secretary of so-and-so and he is absolutely shocked and surprised that he's not been able to get on the on the bell to to go on. Not just because he's done him favours, but because you know he's the flagship of the federation. There's a certain cachet that comes with it. Whereas here we have the flagship of Earth, and th- this much less powerful planet does not care. Um, really, it's just like yeah, no, we'll do our best. But you know, there is you know, there, there's no fear, there's no power, there's nothing to really force this planet to uh, to, to care that much about rescuing Archer and Paul. And I think I, I just, I just think it's a really good statement about where we are in the timeline. You know, this is not the Federation. This is earth is nothing. It's um, there. are There's a lot of human centricism in Star Trek and, and, you know, yeah. and I think, I think that the message of the series is there's something particular human that causes the Federation to come together. But at this point, no one cares about the humans. They don't never heard of them. Um, strange, They spell funny. Um, it doesn't matter um we'll just we'll send them we'll send them some flowers and everything there It'll is a fine.
0: suggestion actually um, uh, in yes, the earlier so, scene that, it, I, I that this is like a puppet leader that has been installed by the Vulcans. um any thoughts on that maybe the, the the reason that they were cut off in anyway was because that was thought the chancellor
1: was told to do i think that could make sense definitely i think um yeah, I think um, the Vulcans are definitely. Well, I think we've sort of touched on this, but the <laughs> Vulcans are are definitely fingers in pie yeah. time at the moment, aren't they? They're very. Do you, do you, oh, I can't even say it. There you go. We can cut that bit out, or um, leave it in for a later episode. <laughs> um, they're you know they're very controlling. They're very they're very sure of themselves, um, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know the way I think we we've got. F- two or three sort of um view screen scenes so we've had the one before i can't remember if that was the the um vulcans or not they were talking to but and then we've got this one with the Corridan government and then we've got another one i think they when where he comes onto yeah. the ship and they are you know they, they would drive me <laughs> mad they would drive me mad. i don't blame the andorians to be honest mm-hmm. with you if i you know i don't blame them at all and i think um what I thought was quite interesting about the scene with just talking about the gung, how gung-ho Malcolm was again. Absolutely. He was, like, ready to send down a sort of whole, you know, invasion force in order to, you know... I think, you know, we was probably expecting a missile at some point, but it didn't happen. <laughs> and, and I don't know, but... I don't know if this is for Trey but Trip is full-on redneck, <laughs> isn't he, in this episode? His accent is... I don't know what they sort of said ham it up, but he's really, like, properly full-on, you know with his sort of southern draw and stuff. Um, but, yeah, as as far as the Vulcans go, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're putting strings in the background because, you know, they're obviously already angry about Pajem with the humans, you know, so they might be in the mood, and, you know, and obviously with no emotions, they wouldn't do it. But, of course... As We all know they, they're they probably the most yeah, emotional.
0: I, it was one of those moments species where was, in the Star Trek, is this a trade Trade was there something that made it. me hate the character uh, or dis- dislike the character at least season one? And I couldn't, I don't know, him standing up for his friend and getting more southern because of it. Uh, you know, I've had plenty of friends who get angry, and wherever their accent is from gets thicker, the angrier and more emotional they get. So, I think. I could kind of see where that came from, but it was very close to becoming a trade trade. Um I don't think there is any instances of my hate of Trip or my dislike of Trip from season one, um, but uh, uh, I think it's one of the few times he gets away with it. Um, yeah, I, moving into the other scene, or the next scene after that, we go back to Archer and to Pole, and they're talking or trying to escape. And Archer is saying, you yeah, know, maybe the Vulcans want their database back. I think that feeds into this idea that the Vulcans are getting their fingers into the pies with earth they tried it a little bit differently and they were about offering a bit of information and standing Mm. back it's almost like Corridon they got in too deep so they had this mining agreement they had all of this now maybe they're using it as a staging area to build a fleet or some something you know which is why the Andorians are trying to subvert it and getting in on the the underclasses as it were um but with earth They've already learned those lessons. So they're, they're gradually having uh, a much more distant hand and now realizing maybe that was also a bad idea because now the Earth people are taking advantages and destabilizing sectors, as um, Savol was saying earlier. Uh, there is the escape attempt. Uh, there's First, it was a trust exercise that reminded me of my uh, GCSE and A-level drama, of uh, leaning on each other's backs to try and stand up. Uh, then we get, you see, I read up a lot about this episode and apparently this was accidental. The forced moments of, uh, them falling over into each other and to Paul's chest going into Archer's face was complete accident. And they just happened to stay in character so well as pro actors that they are, um, that they didn't, you know, crease up until, uh, a cut was, was rolled. It still feels like it was a bit forced. And did they need to leave it in the edit anyway? Uh, because it, are they trying to be tantalizing? Are they trying to force a relationship? It's the other things that I've said in previous episodes of scenes that do they need to be that much uh, in your face? The sexiness trek, the sexy trek of this escape attempt. Uh, Matt, did, do you have a problem with it or not? Yeah,
2: it's, I mean, I kind of I kind of feel for them, for the production, because it, it's in an odd time, and this is sort of Trek f- trying and, I mean, since the seri- series was cancelled, arguably failing to adapt to the noughties, um, and is trying to find a way to sort of do the, the sexy thing while keeping its rating and while also keeping it Star Trek. And, you know, I feel for them. It's a, diff- <laughs> it's a difficult thing to do. But it is, it is I mean, particularly that scene, it is like an adolescent trying, just sort of like bashing Action Man and Barbie together and not really knowing what he's doing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of awkward. There's a lot of, like, the... You know, there's, there's a lot of that um, in this season. I mean, I think they get over it, don't they? In, in later ones, I can't really remember. But in this season, there's a lot of that. And it does feel a bit... A bit good it does feel a bit gratuitous. Um, so yeah, I'd say overall, don't like it. Um, but I could, you know, they're, they're experimenting and trying to find a way to keep Star Trek going. And now, listeners
0: couldn't um, see Dan hanging his head not when how I was I mentioning all of this. Uh, Dan, your thoughts on the escape attempt. <laughs>
1: The escape attempt itself was fine, but that that moment, I mean, you know, I mean, why? I, I, I know it was a different time and all the rest of it, but it, it, I mean, it was just puerile anyway, you know. It was so sort of... It was almost camp in some sort of way. I don't know. I mean, you know, it was just ridiculous. It was a sort of, you know, 1950s down the sort of... Uh, of the beach, you know, the sort of... um Saucy postcard type thing, you know, it was terrible, you know. So, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I find it, you know, when we look back at what, you know, or look from this point, I mean, <laughs> obviously, we're judging history now and all that rest of it, but, oh, you know, it's just, there's so much me too going on, isn't there?
2: Yeah, and there is, there is actually on, um, on Memory Alpha, they do say that, um, <laughs> Well, there, there is a report oh, that during, during that sequence it was a bit awkward, <laughs> and they played Love Shack on the speakers while we are trying to do which I just thought, how could you possibly make a situation worse? You know, sort of like, there's something wrong with this. I know, let's play Love Shack. Um, so, you know, this, you know, this is, you know, this, I mean, like, I mean, people complain about um, sort of the, uh, this. Discovery being more sexual and swearing and stuff like that. I would say that, that you know that, in that line, the thing, the the bit of Star Trek that makes the greatest mistakes and and and, and you know goes a bit too so far is probably Enterprise doing these things. You know, so sort of people need to have a bit, bit more of a memory and see when this was done badly, <laughs> and um, yeah, um, you know I just. I hope it wasn't as cringy on the set as, the, as that anecdote made. I hope that anecdote's not true as well. It is on the Memory Alpha, though, at the moment. I was reading it today. Um, but Yeah, yeah no, as I'm, we've
0: said in the last I'm episode of Sleeping um, Dogs, with you know, we've just a... had a Lower Decks episode, <laughs> which has blown up Twitter about uh, nakedness and things. And I don't mind nakedness in Star Trek, but when it's forced to the point of perhaps uh, titillation and uh, for gratuity, that's the obsession that I take you know nakedness can be in Star Trek it's why it's there I think is the reason and you know for a joke like the naked time joke that the lower decks were doing makes perfect sense it's also a cartoon Uh, but (laughs) you know know, had it been live action and it were a joke then fair enough Um, but moving on um, the ship find uh, the pod they're actually going to go down they're going to send a new uh, away team Unlike what Reed would probably suggest, which is all fifteen of their face pistols, armed to the teeth, backpacks like we did in the Dorian incident, charges everywhere. You know, uh, flatten the area with a torpedo first, and then go in. No, no, no. It's just going to be Trip and Reed walking around a fisherman's town. Uh, they found the shanty town. Um, uh, this is where I'm going to come back to uh, uh Sci-Fi's uh, and uh, the June episode. The Harkonnen costumes look a lot like these fishermen shantytown costumes. Uh, I didn't know whether they were going to go for like, you know, they're the evil guys because they're in these weird uh, slacks and leather-bound uh, fishing outfits. You uh, know, we shouldn't really trust them because these are the rebels. We're evil fishermen. Um, but... Um, any thoughts on, you know, were they going to go for the costumes of, you know, these are the bad guys, the politicians aren't the bad guys? Do you feel that that might have been something they were going to go for? Or whether it's just these are fishermen, they put them in the in the, the long johns and that'll be it. Ooh.
2: I think everyone's bad. I think that's kind of the message of everyone's bad uh, in, in different ways. And I mean, maybe they've done that to stop us from sympathising with the rebels. Um, you know, I mean, there's obviously some sort of inequality going on because they say that they're a shanty town, so that, that's that's explicit. Okay, there are a shanty. There is inequality on this planet that the Vulcans are economically involved in. Um, probably through, I mean, it's clear there's some sort of imperial involvement um, through for, through the Vulcans, which is against how where you know we've been over gener- well decades expecting them to act, um, and at the same time, however, um, the rebels are not to be trusted either, you know, they are taking people captive, they are, um, you know, if we to believe Shran, and I think, as I said before, I think generally we're meant to believe the things that Shran say at this point, um, and they, they will just kill Archer and T'Pol at the end of it as well, so like, which is not the way to, that's not the Star Trek way of affecting political change either. Um, so I just think you know it's sort of like it's a, it's a it's a way of signalling. No, it's not that these are the good guys and the bad. There's moral complexity on this planet. Um, so we've got the, the signalling that the politicians are bad by being just just not caring at all about what's happened to these visitors who've been invited, these delegates, and we've got the signalling about. But but yeah, they're they're completely signalled as evil, they're coded as evil. These, these rebels, so it's like no one's good, and we mm. never see that just the civilians, as far as I can remember, you, just, you don't see who's actually living in the Shanta towns is not part of it.
1: Yeah, I agree, but I, I think also there's that bit where I can't remember if, if it's um Reed or um Tripp that says it, but we not everyone lives in Emerald City, and I think there's also that idea of maybe it's you know trying to show that it's a, a poorer part of the of the city or a poor part of, of the, the planet. So maybe there's also a bit of that as well to to show that um what's the word? Um the poor yes, poor yeah, aspect completely of the clean. area. Uh, it's the sort of shady yeah, town so I think there's a bit of that as makes well. much
0: more sense that you know uh, everyone's got their vested interests and they are not necessarily aligned at this point. The Nivar has turned up, the Vulcan ship that it's going to be taking to to Road. Um Nivar Nivar uh, is a name that we will get to know in Discovery. Uh twenty years after this series was made, uh the, the Nivar or Nivaran um homeworld being the aligned world of both Vulcan and Romulus. Um oh, thank you very much. Um it excellent was purely spot. Uh, is that, that, what is the name of that, that, that ship? I'm sure I've heard well that done. before, and it was literally just like looking ah. through it. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I thought it was interesting that we're in an episode where everyone's divided and we've got the ship Navarre 20 years on. the Navarre is the symbol of being together. Hmm. Strange. Um, I like little historical ironies. Um, but uh, we get uh, the, the mention of a swift tactical response, the Vulcan way of approaching a problem. Uh, and I believe, Dan, you had uh, a little insight as to where what this might be the beginnings of,
1: thinking of discovery. Well, it just occurred, yeah, it just occurred to me, you know, this is the, the classic Vulcan hello, isn't it? You know, it's it's right from from there, you know, they, a quick response, a, a forceful response. I, I can't imagine that's where the Discovery writers got it from, but it certainly fits in and, and it's quite lucky in a, in a sort of lucky coincidence, I think, in a way that they use that, that tactic, I, as I say, I'm not sure that the discovery writers would have gone. Oh, what we need to do because of that in in that in that episode of Enterprise, we need to be decisive. But it's quite nice, and it, it, yeah, if it well, is, uh, it's if, really deep diving. If, big, if, know, I mean, if it's not, it's, it's just a lucky coincidence. But it just know, made me like think of
0: that, that in yeah. for the next season. Just you know, hashtag you know, temporal trek came up with it first. Um, it's you know, uh, with uh, academic trek and obviously uh, philosophers uh, with that as well. Um But um yeah having a swift response (laughs) totally makes sense for a vulcan totally makes um um the best sense in terms of this plan deal with it quickly get in get out that's the best way of, of dealing with the problem rather than skulking around a fisherman's town uh not really knowing where you're going uh you've sort of found your pod you're not entirely sure whether you found the the right pod. it could just be a lump of metal that's exactly the same make and model of your pod in a society that can make warp seven ships um you know it, it, it's a completely different way of looking at it whether you agree with the vulcans and why they're going in to do it that's another matter but it does make a lot of sense um
1: It's interesting, actually, that um, just occurred to me again, that what we're seeing, what what Matt's been saying about the sort of the way the Vulcans are politically and and sort of uh, dealing with political issues in the the sector and stuff is very, very different to this direct approach of the, you know, we've got on on one hand politically and sort of geopolitically or whatever the right word is for space. they're they sort of putting their hand, you know. They're they're working with the corridors. They're controlling the corridors. They're, you know, spying on the Endorians. So they're very sort of secretive or, or not direct, basically. And, and yet, they're, they're, their response to an immediate situation is to be very direct. It's quite an interesting comparison. Yeah,
2: I, th- I think that's a really that's a really good point. To me, the thing I think that that links it all is the Vulcans are untempered logic. So they're ruthless logic. So in so basically, I mean that that's the thing that between uh, Trip and the captain is you're going to go in. You're not even you don't even care if they die, which is true. They don't care. They're motivated by logic. They don't have the emotional. They just say this is the best way to do it. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Um, quick and hard. Element of surprise. Just do that. Makes perfect sense logically. Equally, um, the way that they're involved on this planet might make sense logically, but it's without any compassion towards. Um, the um the lack of unity on the earth and a lack of compassion to the individual humans like i mean it's always returns to Archer's uh, father lack of compassion for we don't have was it from the um is it from the uh the first episode where Archer says you know we don't we don't we don't all have two hundred year lifespans you know so it's so it's logic without compassion in all of these different things and um you know and I guess like even if the and the uh, the discovery writers weren't thinking about this episode. I think if they're thinking about the Vulcans in that way, it makes mm. perfect sense that they would also they would end up with the same conclusion. How would the how <laughs> would the how would the Vulcans deal with the Klingons? Shoot them. You know, what's the most logical and thing that you can do if you face with a the difference shoot in shoot another him. plan? You know, so,
0: um, so the humans are wandering on. Aimlessly in a shanty town, and eventually get taken—not necessarily by the people we think they are—but there we go. The Vulcans have got their direct approach, and now we've got a third plan coming up. And Shran's back. We get the Andorians; they finally come back. Uh, it's taken us what 25 minutes in the episode before we finally get to see the Andorians again. They get mentioned, but they're back. This time, they've got a slightly cleverer plan i guess not a direct assault let's get an inside man let's try and be subversive let's be a bit more sensible about it a bit more vulcan maybe yeah maybe classical vulcan yeah vulcan. um there's a transponder <laughs> in the food uh, that archer is able to find after a very tricky way of getting to eat from a bowl uh and hoshi uh, it's the first time that Hoshi being in control of the view screen made total sense to me because she can run the interference and then give them a bit of static and all this sort of thing. Whereas in previous times, she's been running the camera, which seemed like more of a security thing to do, which should have been Reed's job. Uh, so finally, Hoshi is doing something that kind of fits with why she should be there. Uh, but I do like playing dumbfounded with Sopak as well and, and saying, you know, we get we get shuttles coming here and there, you know, it could be anyone's shuttle, who knows? Uh, but Shran is back and they are in not only uh, with an inside man, they've got a layout of the plans, they know exactly where the guards are standing they have done their homework Uh, maybe having antennas uh, helps them detect this, I don't know but that's a lot of information why they didn't just storm the place two days ago I don't know Um, but uh, any thoughts on the Andorian approach and of course Shran's return
2: Um, I'd say, I mean, yeah, you've got three approaches, haven't you? So like, the Andorians are going for a kind of um, Black mm. Ops approach. The Vulcans are going for a um, Surgical <laughs> Strike approach. And the humans are going for an optimistic, yeah. let's just wing it. Let's just go there. Um, let's just go. We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> we'll sort it out. Thing, And then, obviously, there's a, what's brilliant about it is you've got these three completely incompatible approaches and... Uh, they don't work, even though these, spe- these species are destined to become, you know, really important allies. They're, they're just on a collision course with each other on this. You know, it, it's, it's a miracle that they don't shoot each other just even by accident, let alone the animosity.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, I, really, I like Shran a lot and I'm glad he's, he become more and more. And it's a real shame that we didn't get five season five, six and seven. And I think where well, he would have become a regular and, and that would have been great. But um yeah, it's, it's something that's just occurred, to, well, not occurred to me, but I was thinking about earlier, and maybe this is the moment to say, you know, we're about to go into the scene where the, the, they're saved and there's the shooting and all that. But actually, not a lot has happened in this episode, really. It's been a very sort of static, <laughs> slow episode, really. And I really noticed that the second time I watched it, I suddenly thought, hang on, nothing really happens until the last five, ten minutes, you know. And Which is, I don't know, mm. it's interesting because it's, it's quite a dramatic yeah, episode I, in the end it's it's weird that it's also a it very took sort of so long it was long. quite a slow paced one really?
0: it's the uh, Chekhov's Santana of uh, the andorians being mentioned in the first scene and it took them 25 minutes to finally get round to showing them um yeah uh, it, it's not the episode i thought they would do an episode that um you, you think shadows of Bajem from Andorian incident you know they're going to finally deal with the outf- the fallout it's going to be all action or it's going to be a huge ethical dilemma and yeah it's there's allusions to things there's different scenes that explain that there's something going on there are pieces bits of pieces that we've been able to pull pull out in just this conversation whether it was intended or not making the episode but there's not a cohesive abc to this Episode that really propels it forward in terms of pacing, at least. And I, I completely agree, it, it' not a lot actually happens. It seems to be set up for an action scene at the end, and the explanation of why Topol gets to stay on the Enterprise that's really what this Enterprise episode does. Um, it's just to make sure that she's there for the at least the end of mm. season one. Um, and I don't think there is anything else that this episode. In a rewatch, can offer the audience whether that plays into our ratings criteria later um any other thoughts on on that on the the, the storming or general about the episode
1: i think um the one bit that i really noticed um <laughs> the Vulcans are a pain as ever. <laughs> they appear and, and get, you know, get right in the, the way basically. But the thing that I, that really struck me in this was the slow-mo uh, cut. Oh, it was awful. Just, it was so sort of cheesy and like, I just thought, oh God, you know, and the whole thing of him sort of moving up and to pole leaping in front of, you know, I was, oh, really? You could have done it at full speed and it would have been fine, you know, but by slowing it down, it it really lost anything for me. It was, just, yeah, just, oh god, that's awful.
2: I mean, I guess Star Trek does this quite a lot. Of the, you sort of you feel like something's going to be quite high stakes, and then it gets converted hmm. into something that's actually quite interpersonal, and often just about someone saying the right diplomatic thing at the right moment, which in this case falls to Archer to uh, intercede on Paul's behalf with the with the Vulcan captain, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I mean, even though Voyager was the last to finish before Enterprise came out, I feel like really to me it's like, this is what they're doing after Deep Space Nine, where those yeah, scales yeah. Are, are just raised so, so high after building, you know, they, you know, I, I can understand why they're trying to do slow pace at this point. Uh, I, can, I can understand why they're doing that. And I, I think it does work because I think there's a real message in this, because, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I just feel like the story of Enterprise is about how all of these Founder Federation races are rubbish until they become in the Federation. They've all got their vices. With the humans, they're still, they're still a bit fascisty. They're still a bit, yeah, particularly in Season 4, with what happens with the, um, I can't remember the name of it, but the anti-alien uh, factions, and they still mm. very quickly get to too, far too emotionally driven um, as you see like when you when you were talking mm-hmm. about Trip, he starts going very gung ho very quickly. Um, the the Vulcans are too logical, and as we find out in season four, there's there's things going on. Mm. They haven't got the true version of the Vulcan philosophy, and so on. I, th- I feel like, but already, the, even if they haven't thought about that yet, this like the Vulcans are as as a sort of a, a nation state or a planet state. They're not really working very well. The Andorians are also mm. not for working very well. They're too warlike. Um, the Vulcans have a point about them, and it's and the message is only by these nation states becoming sort of an international federation of planets, joining a community of worlds and working together, are they actually mm-hmm. going to be able to function at all, let alone better? And you know, you get that in in this episode. They, you know, just if they just <laughs> all sat down and had the plan together, but they're all fighting each other and competing with each other over their plans, and then they go in and try and do the same thing at the same time, and it all clashes, mm-hmm. and then people nearly get killed. T'Pol so nearly dies because of it um and I, th- I just think it's um it's a really nice way to sort of softly bring it into um the interpolitical things that are really going to be sort of sorted out in season four um I, you know and it, it reminds me of that early deep space nine when you get like just this little mention of the dominion these sort of little episodes about the ferengi and it's sort of like the, mm-hmm. the building stuff up that's going to be riffed on later on in, in later seasons and sadly there were too few later seasons for for this
1: series it's interesting just to pick up on that because that's exactly what i was thinking today i was thinking this is like not the beginning maybe because i think already there's been but certainly a a real point where i think the the loss of the say the, the last three seasons that would have been is really could be really felt here because you're right. Absolutely. You know, everyone's not quite right without being together and, and we could have seen this happen. And I think it's one of the great shames of enterprise that, you know, we, we didn't get to see that. It's a, it's a real shame because it was a fascinating story. And, and not only did we not get to see it, but we got the final episode, which, you know, we can, we can discuss that when we come to it, but a travesty of that really in lots of ways that it, you know, it, boiled down so badly and so sort of I don't know, clunkily what mm. could have been a fascinating story over you know three or four seasons
2: i mean that that's really going to be felt by this podcast mm. because you can't watch yep. the last episode of enterprise oh, yes. until you get what? to um, near the end of uh-huh. generation can you yeah because of course it's technically yeah <laughs> Because um, it's, oh, well, it's in the. I looked Enterprise ahead on, on some holiday. of those kind of episodes. And yeah, um, Peg- Pegasus oh, this is just, it's just the, so These are
0: the voyages. And I will be doing what effectively will be a, a two hour episode in one single watch because it's all happening within two or three days. So it's effectively a whole episode in one go. So how that's going to work, I don't know. But there we go. <laughs> yeah,
2: wow. Yeah. Mm. And that, that's all because, like, I mean, I don't know what anyone else feels about it, but that, um, that the Pegasus <laughs> episode uh, is one of my favorite episodes. I think it's brilliant. And yet no one really likes these other Voyages. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that's going really uh, so <laughs> <get> to be <laughs> a really interesting 50 years time. It's going to take so long. It's going to take a new time. series. Uh, <laughs>
0: um, podcasts won't even be a thing by the time I get around to that. Um, I'll just be talking to myself and it'll be just a dual a conversation between me and me. a bit. be it.
2: Oh God! You mm-hmm, must have been. Mm-hmm. You must have had really mixed feelings on the announced. It's going to take, um, take so much longer uh, to get to it the, the twenty-fourth century. <laughs> yeah, and what are
1: you going? Oh
2: wow! And
1: Picard season. Picard season two, of course, is a lot of stuff going back to the present day, or <laughs> what seems to be the present day. So that. Yeah, I was it's going to get that complicated the other day the actually. Complicated. Exactly I go
0: back in time. I'm going to be very interesting. Wow. Um, but I will not be forcing yeah. guests to come with me on that journey. So that's okay. You don't have to do it. Um, but if you do, feel free. <laughs> yes. Absolutely.
2: Um, it's, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's nice that mm. there is Star Trek happening so it's it's a, it's a nice but, problem um, in a way with the last season nice, nice last scene screen.
0: of this there is um, obviously the the resolution to to Paul's story that um Archer is going to intercede on her behalf um he doesn't consult her, and this is a big thing for me this this whole scene it seems like a planned ruse between Archer and Phlox and perhaps is an answer to these three mm-hmm. disparate plans for the rescue that didn't quite work but did at the same time. Um, now there is a a plan between a human captain, a Denobulan doctor, and the unconscious Falcon laying on the table. And, you know, there was an organized plan to try and keep T'Pol on board by saying that, you know, she's sustained heavy injuries, she needs to stay here, um, this will be a delay, but maybe you should speak on her behalf, she saved your life, blah, 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 blah. Um, but should Archer have at least consulted her, or perhaps they should have written this scene differently, that Topole is aware of this conversation. There was a moment where he says, oh, you know, she made me so angry, I want to kick her out of an airlock. Perhaps it would have been fun just to have cut to T'Pol, where she's, like, reacting, like she wants to say something, just to, to, to say something, but she's in on the joke. She's in on this ruse to try and get it, um, that perhaps off-screen they'd agreed on this plan. Um, Any thoughts on this last little scene? Because it it didn't quite sit well with me that Archer was doing it without telling her first. I don't know why.
1: I I sort of thought that initially, but actually, like when I watched it again, I think, I think what, I think, yeah, sort of being totally moral and stuff, Archer should have said something. And, and agreed that with Topol. But I think actually what he was doing was he was he was picking up from the way she'd reacted to the news mm-hmm. and stuff and, and the unsaid stuff, knowing she didn't want to go back. And he sort of made a call for that. But yeah, I mean technically yes he should have, you know, it should have been discussed. And it may have been, who knows? But um, but I I think he was sort of reading the room as such. And that that was why he did it. And and then you look at you see with Tuppole's reaction at first she said, well, you should have thrown mm. to me. But it, that doesn't last very long. It doesn't feel massively like she really means it.
2: Yeah, I think um, I mean it's a case where Archie gets lucky. You know, he, he's he, you know he's, he does often go by his gut and then get and then get lucky with it. What I do, <laughs> I, I think I broadly agree. Like, if this is a proper you know healthy work environment, which it clearly isn't. Uh, Which I I think you've drawn out quite well throughout this progress. It's not a healthy work environment on this enterprise. It's not yet a Federation starship. Um, uh, But what I do like is that kind of callback to the discussion in the shuttle pod where where, Asha says, a pan, and then she says, well, you know, it would be a waste of fuel to go back. And, you know, that's her way of saying, even though it's illogical, I'm quite happy (laughs) that this has happened. And again, it's not like, well, it's against my doctor's orders to leave the bed. It's sort of like, there's, there's a kind of sense that to needs mm. to be given an excuse to stay um you know for out of pride which which I think is fair because the first time that um you know the, when when she first joins the crew properly um to sends the request to save Archer's pride and there's a sense in which mm. there's a payback this time with rejoining the crew it's um, Archer who makes the request directly um not to Paul. So, you know, I I I think there's some sort of work going on there, but again, there is a kind of just steamrollering through her career, Um, you know, and. But, you know, it, I guess if she said, actually, no, I do want to leave, it's a bit awkward, but actually I do want to leave, and I'm sure Archer would have gone and off and said, actually, no, my no, mind do no not bother.
0: Well, uh, uh, with yeah. Archer facing no consequences then, well, well, stepping well in on to Paul's behalf, let's move on to our next criteria. Let's see, see, segues. Um, consequences is next on our Car's rating system. From this episode what do you think are the concrete consequences for the future of of the federation to come what comes from this episode starting with dan
1: well i think we've sort of touched on this already but i think this is a a foundational stone really in lots of ways It, it cements the relationship or begins to cement the relationship between shran and archer definitely um and i think it it sort of, it, it talks about the problems that the Vulcans and the Andorians have between them. So there's that sort of, I don't know, setting the scenes quite the right word, but sort of that we, we know where they're coming from. Um, and it certainly, so it's certainly like a an important episode, I think, as far as that goes. And it's, it's it's not important in itself as such, but it's it's an early stage of where we go and where we, we could have gone with the extra season, certainly.
2: Yeah, I think what the main consequence is um, Earth establishing itself as a um, galactic player. Again, you know, making more of a a name for itself. um, Again, cementing uh, that relationship with with Shran, as Dan mentioned, but also um, nuancing the relationship with the Vulcans, because I think this Mm. is, you know, it's one of the first times where, you know, a human will have changed a Vulcan's mind about something. You know, Archer does change that Vulcan captain's mind, and that Vulcan captain goes off with a better view of humans than what, when he turned up. You know, it's sort of the slow burn. Just these, um, mm. I mean, sort of analogous to when people talk about small acts of kindness. These are small acts of diplomacy that are sort of building up and snowballing into um, the role that Earth is going to play as a catalyst for the formation of the Federation in uh, in season four. And yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I think yeah, I appreciate the light touch way that they're doing it. Um, mm. You know, it, it's just a shame that we never get as much. Um, as, as moving do.
0: on from uh, consequences, we have alterations. Now, alterations can be expansions, things you might have wanted to see differently in the episode, or if you think the episode was fine, what would you like to have seen next? Should there have been? Uh, Pajem the return. Uh, should there have been a third part to this story arc, just to give all those little loose ends a tie off? Something with Sopex, something with Topol, finally, you know, cementing her place on the NXO one. Perhaps something else. Perhaps going back to Corridor and dealing with the political situation there. Uh, starting with Matt this time. Any alterations or expansions? <laughs> Good, yeah, good choice, uh, well, yeah. I think,
2: first of all, we'd take the Love Shack bit out, um, certainly. Uh, in terms of additions, I'd, just a little bit more about what's going on on Corridan and uh, the Vulcans rule, just sort of, it's it's there, it's just sort of stated, but actually fully unpacking. I'd actually like this to be a two-parter, maybe something a little bit like um, like what Unification was, a really sort of low pace. Uh, two parts. That's so a two-part. Not because it's full of action scenes and there's so much to do, just because it's allowing the space for this political tension on the planet to be exposed, and you know maybe having um, you know some Enterprise crew members with the government, some Enterprise crew members with the Andorians, some with the rebels, and so forth, and sort of seeing the story from from all points of view. Um, so like a kind of just expansion of it to see what what is really going on in this this sort of proxy yeah. warfare buffer state. Um, that, that, that's what I would have um, changed.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think I would have gone either way. I think I would have gone either the way that Matt's been saying. I think he's it's, it's, it's summed it up perfectly. Or maybe, you know, if you were going to keep it to a 45-minute one, make it a bit more, not action-packed exactly, but maybe just sort of inject a bit of energy into it because I feel like, although it was quite sort of interesting, and, and but, you know, it could have just done with a little bit of something maybe if you were going to go down that route. But I think actually, personally, I would have gone the way Matt says and, and you know, definitely gone to a two-parter, much more sort of in-depth yeah, uh, look at Corridan and stuff. Through and, all and of the episodes of, of that Season that 1 sort of so stuff. far, so,
0: I've yeah. always said that the, the temporal Cold War just feels like an arc that should have come next season and that this first season should have been all these things, all of the foundational things. Not necessarily, you know, cementing it and saying, right, now we're an allied set of worlds, but just, the beginnings of it you know first meetings with the orion syndicate the the first meetings with um all of the different races the tellarites that will uh, eventually be coming later in the other seasons um just having all of these things form together uh into a more cohesive uh the law the law coming to the wild west you know the, those kind of wagon train to the stars elements that um that were originally pitched for star trek about you know uh, Dealing with lawlessness and maybe having a fairer bent at it um, you know not being so uh, so much of a western bravado, but just you know having a a different way of dealing with things I would have liked to have seen uh corridon come back in a later episode. But it was them going back to get a new piece of tech that will eventually become, you know, the photon torpedo. You know, the, just having that little thing where they're tech builders, but actually maybe we should sort out this political situation before we take all this technology away from them. Doing the things you've been saying, Dan, about uh, you know, get mm-hmm. a better engine. Maybe we could upgrade it. And now we're a warp five point one engine, you know, just just a little tiny tweak here and there. Um but the episode itself, yes, for me needed more pacing and needed something just to propel it forward. Just it felt like a lot of setup, a lot of setup, a lot of setup action scene to pull stays on the Enterprise. That it, the, overall, that's what the Enterprise uh, episode came for me. Um, it's important. And yes, it sets the stage for quite a lot of things. But the delivery just wasn't there as much as I was hoping for in this episode, given that Andorian incident was something I enjoyed so much the sequel to it, I was expecting more um, Okay Recommendations hmm. is our next stage. Uh, recommendations has two strands, to Star Trek fans and non-Star Trek fans. Starting with Star Trek fans, do we recommend this specific episode? Is it an essential part of the Star Trek lore? Uh, starting with Dan this time uh,
1: Yes, I think it is for Star Trek fans, certainly, I think um, you know as we we've just mentioned. Really, you know, it sets a lot of things. The beginning of setting a lot of, of things in motion, and and you know, it's particularly the relationship between Shran and Archer. I think is is important. As for non-Star Trek fans, then no, I don't think so because you, you'd need to know. In, it wouldn't make sense, really. I don't think it's not. It's not one of those episodes. It's a very much a, a standalone episode, but in lots of ways, it isn't. It needs mm. it, well. For instance, it needs Pajem then enduring it yeah. incident first of all to make sense really. So straight away, it's not one just to drop somebody in on. Um, but I think as a as a sort of Star Trek fan, it definitely is one that that is important. Uh. or was certainly the beginning of being important.
2: Um, I I'd, I'd agree completely. It's uh, you know uh, as we've talked about. There's a lot. It's really nice in informing our context of the formation of the Federation um, but you know it's a self contained story but you know it, it's sort of relying so much on the context of not just Pejem but just your background knowledge of Star Trek and everything I really got out of this episode and enjoyed was as a Star Trek fan who knows all of the other episodes and sort of saying oh god yeah they're, they're talking about this so early and, and that's interesting about the Vulcans you know. you know I feel like this is a um This is a Star Trek fans episode, and you know, unless someone was actually just watching Enterprise, and I would certainly recommend Enterprise to a non-Star Trek fan. um, Yeah, no, this is this isn't this is this wouldn't end up on any of the top ten. Yeah, any any, like the top. Yeah,
0: I'm going to echo uh, both of you Uh, to a Star Trek fan. It's important. There's a lot of uh, background that you can mine for this. We've pulled out so many different themes. Thank you for starters, because I was struggling with this one on you. What exactly we could talk about? There's very thin. Uh, parts of the episode that actually dealt with much larger issues, but then they never went any further with it, uh, which is a larger problem I have with Enterprise sort of pulling its punches. Um, but to a Star Trek fan, yes, it makes a lot of sense. So I would have put that into a Star Trek fan's recommendations. But to a non-Star Trek fan, you've got the love shack. You've got a, a planet that's going to appear once and we're never going to see again, and there's no <laughs> political fallout from that um it, There's so many different things that could easily put off someone who is seeing. Well, she got shot, and that resolved the problem. Like that, that's that's how they do it in Star Trek, is it? I mean, that would, might put people off. They, they want something a little bit more satisfying, a little bit more grounded, perhaps, or realistic uh, in how this situation gets resolved, um or at least a part three. Uh, so, yes, to a non-Star Trek fan, I also couldn't recommend. There's just too much that you would have to either explain or i have to go on faith faith of the heart to actually watch um sorry about that one and uh that is it for recommendations so uh the last part of the recommendations is for me to set up next episode but before we do i want to make sure that everyone is listening to these guys episodes uh, these uh, podcasts as well um starting with dan then matt dan where can everybody find you
1: You can find me wherever you find your podcast, Academic um, Trek, Matt. and on Twitter, Academic Trek47. Um,
2: again, uh, wherever you get your podcast, it's Philosophize. Um, that's Philosci Fi Z. I have recommended those podcasts so many uh, times on Twitter that now the uh,
0: autofill on my text messages has Academic forty-seven on your Twitter handle already come up instead of academic anything else. And also Philosophize. So whenever I do philosophizing, I I, I have to adjust it. I have to go back in and, and adjust it from SciFi's. Uh so there we go. I've <laughs> I've recommended it so many times. <laughs> yeah so uh, thank virus. you so much guys. I have taken up way too much of your time. I apologize, <laughs> but um I believe Matt you're going to be back on our next episode, Shuttlepot One, which I think is later this month. We'll be recording that one uh but uh we will uh get back to you, so you'll be in the waiting room for a, a lot longer than Dan was waiting. I'm really sorry about that uh. <laughs> but uh join me uh, <laughs> next time listeners okay. for uh season three episode seven of this podcast and season one episode 15 of star trek enterprise as we go to shuttle pod one at zero minutes and zero seconds thank you as always for listening and i'll see you in the next time stream i hope you've enjoyed the show please remember to like subscribe and review wherever you listen to it if you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temple Trek Podcast Facebook page, or find me on Twitter at rider underscore coattail. Also, search the Temple Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at daniel underscore hitch underscore writer. Scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek, sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast, with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you in the next time stream. All finished. There we go. Right. That's it. Right. Great. Yeah.
2: Fantastic.
0: Thank you. Thank you. you. Yeah, there, oh, that yes, was great. I apologise. That was so yeah, much a, a lot good. longer than I thought yeah, it was good. going to be, but you pulled out so much more than I could ever thought to think about about this episode. <laughs> so well done.
2: Well done, guys. Yeah. It's it's it's
1: it's
2: odd, isn't it? Sometimes the ones that are that sort of seemed the thinnest you can end up having the more all the more to say about we certainly found that on, mm. on philosophies like um like crawl <laughs> I, I, I suggested crawl crawl to more or less to wind dave up um but um uh, but then and i i got to i just thought sort of like, <laughs> oh god what am i going to say about and that yeah it was one of our longest recordings um you know it's it sort of yeah. Yeah, because it's slow burn you sort of think, well, why, why isn't there that much in there? And then, you, <laughs> and then you think about the threads and then you pull them and then everything
0: Wonderful. just explodes. No, thank you so much. And, and no, yeah, no. Um, with ShuttlePod1, uh, the other guest, uh, Paul, yeah, uh, he might not be able to make that date. So I'm going to try and get back to you with some other dates uh, and see what that is. Uh, but uh, at the moment, we're still sticking with the 20th of October, the, the Wednesday, okay. but in case he needs to change it, um, I will get back to you ASC. Awesome. Thank you
2: yeah i should be yeah i should be able to be flexible with that um as long as uh, particularly if it's at this time um the, okay. on, the only day that's difficult for me is every other thursday um which is uh, with it being so like th- tomorrow is bad for me so um two weeks tomorrow will Excellent. be bad for me thank uh, you so much really well i
0: will it's let fine. you go you can go and sleep now i <clears> apologize <throat> um uh, she is, yeah, she's there, yeah. yeah. Just, just it sounds on, like your cat's ready to Laying on as well. my. Oh, yeah, my, just saying, good yeah, come on, come
1: on, just get on. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit jealous because we got two cats, and I was hoping one would come along at some point, you know, just to join in with. All, I saw Matt sort of desperately. Jog, oh, around, around. To... Yeah, no, yeah she, was so... sitting,
2: she was laying on the keyboard. I was like, "Oh my god, just don't, don't, don't close Zoom." <laughs> um, she's 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 usually very well behaved when I'm doing something like this. But I think she, <laughs> she's, she's not hungry. I think she wants to play. Um, she's only a kitten. Right. Thank so, um, you. Yeah. Cool.
1: Right. See you later. Well, thanks so Brilliant. much for that. Yeah. Um, thanks everyone. Um, see you later. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Thank you.